Okay. Is it recording? Hi. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Um, take a look at this. Okay. It's like a Rorschach test. Okay, so that's Maryland's third district, and it's called, it's nicknamed the Praying Mantis. Here, check this one out. There's a long thing that could be like a trunk that looks like it might be like splurting water out of it. That's Texas's 35th district, and it's nicknamed the Upside Down Elephant. Is it Rorschach or Rorschach? Rorschach. Good, I got it right. There's an old joke, like, who is this guy Rorschach, and why did he draw so many pictures of my parents fighting? Yeah, that's good. That's funny. (laughs) This one looks like... Um, someone like yelling at someone else and kicking their butt. <laughs> that is Pennsylvania's seventh district. It doesn't exist anymore, and it's got my favorite nickname, which is Goofy Kicking Donald Duck. But so these are congressional districts, right? Why do they look so weird? Okay, so you know how every two years a bunch of Americans go into a voting booth and they pick someone, right? Yes, voting. What these are extreme instances of are not citizens picking representatives but representatives picking them. You're listening to Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And today we are talking about gerrymandering, the political maneuver of drawing a map to divide up voters so on election day, one party is more likely to win. To start off, if you live in the United States, you live in a congressional district. Your physical address determines who you can vote for in an election. And even if you live in a state that only has one district, your address still matters because it determines who you can vote for in your state legislature. And I know that as we speak, November 2021, these maps are being drawn, right? Yes, they are because we draw our state and federal congressional districts after each census. I have heard news stories from multiple states about these new maps, Nick. People care so deeply about them. And I think that that's in part because we are going to be stuck with them for 10 years. And because of that, Hannah, gerrymandering is always a current events issue. Well, it's no surprise if I could guarantee my job and the job of my friends and guarantee that I could punish the people I don't like, I'd be mighty tempted to use that power no matter what field I were in. This is Justin Levitt. He's a professor of law at Loyola Marymount University. Legislators aren't any different. Legislators, they're just like us. And since the dawn of the redistricting process, legislators have used the power to draw the lines to reward their friends and punish their enemies. This is interesting. I tend to think of gerrymandering as this modern day political practice that involves computers and data analysis and a lot of critique. But it sounds like Justin is saying that this is something that we have always done. Always, since the very beginning, before we even had a word for it. Some scholars have suggested that Patrick Henry, Mr. Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, almost gerrymandered James Madison out of Congress in 1788 by redrawing Virginia's maps. But I'm going to jump ahead to the creation of the term, which is in 1812, and I'm going to start with the fact that we're probably saying it wrong. You reached out to your Nana to see if there's anything you wanted me to to address to the congressman when he comes out next. Yes, she had a few things. She said he should know that his district was the first to be gerrymandered. (laughs) And and I said, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was John Mulaney on Late Night with Seth Meyers. And his grandmother's right. The term comes from that signer of the Declaration of Independence, Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gerry. Gary was a Democratic-Republican at the time, and he signed a redistricting act that cut up the districts of Essex County, so it would be much harder for the other party, the Federalists, to get any seats in the legislature. 
And the map of these districts was such a long, curvy shape that a cartoonist put wings and a reptilian head on it and published it in the Boston Gazette with the name Gerrymander. It's a portmanteau word of Gary and salamander. Now, I'm not a herpetologist here, but I don't believe that salamanders have wings. That's fair. I think it comes from when we used to use the word salamander to just mean dragon. Was that 1812 gerrymander successful? Lord, yes. In the following election, Federalists won only a third of seats in the state legislature, even though they had a majority of the popular vote. But how does that work? How do these maps hold so much power? Well, to understand gerrymandering, we have to first understand the process that we're going through now, congressional redistricting. And Justin told me that redistricting is one of the most important facets of our democracy. Because whatever you care about, Hannah, uh, whether it's like national security or universal health care or a woman's right to choose or gun rights, whatever, it all comes down to our election process. We do things through the representatives that we elect. And if you care about the election process, then you care about redistricting. It's the infrastructure of infrastructure. It's how we do absolutely everything else because it makes sure that some voices get lifted up in choosing who those representatives will be that decide what kind of a world we're going to live in together. Redistricting is something we have to do, or it's a, it's good to, we have to do it every 10 years now um, since the 1960s because people move around. This is Professor Nancy Miller. She teaches political science at the University of Dayton. From a congressional standpoint, we've decided that the House of Representatives is going to be 435 people. I don't think there's any appetite to make that larger right now. Um, and so people move from the Northeast to the South or the Midwest to the South. Sometimes they move from the South up to the Pacific Northwest. And in order to um, keep with the principle of one man, one vote, some states have to lose some seats and some states will gain some seats. Um, and if you're going to change the number of seats in a state, then you, of course, you've got to redraw the lines. And if we're keeping the House at 435 members, it's only fair that each of those members represents about the same number of people. Um, so what would commonly happen, in particular in state legislatures, but also in congressional delegations, oftentimes they would just map districts onto counties, like especially at the state legislative level. And as cities grew... There was a lot of what we would call malapportionment. It's called malapportionment? Malapportionment. Apportionment that is unfair. So you'd have a city of a million people represented by one person, and then a lot of rural communities of like 20,000 people with one representative each for those. So if you lived in the city, your vote meant a lot less, and there were fewer people in Congress standing up for city issues. So rural, rural interests were always dominating the legislature, oftentimes to the detriment of urban populations, which couldn't get some of the services or the infrastructure things they needed because it wasn't a priority for rural legislators. On the national level, there are 435 congressional districts in the United States, and each one represents about 700,000 people. There are some exceptions, though. For example, I'm thinking of those states that have one congressional district and a smaller population than 700,000, like Wyoming. Yeah, Vermont. Those outliers aside, since the 1960s, every 10 years after each federal census, states redraw their federal congressional districts and their state congressional districts to make sure that malapportionment doesn't occur. And this process 
is when we get to the world of the praying mantis, the upside-down elephant, Goofy kicking Donald Duck. Partisan gerrymandering, of course, doesn't have to happen. This is Professor Robin Best, who teaches political science at Binghamton University. But the redistricting process that happens every 10 years gives the people drawing these lines uh, the opportunity to draw those lines in a way that might advantage one political party and disadvantage the other political party. After the last round of redistricting in, you know, 2010, we saw a good number of people drawing those district lines actually do so to try to benefit one party at the expense of the other. And that is what separates redistricting from gerrymandering, right? Redistricting is a necessary democratic process But gerrymandering is done to favor one party. Yes. And there are three tried and true methods of gerrymandering. Packing, cracking, and stacking. And we're going to cover all three. First up, packing. When you pack partisans, um, you cram as many of them as you possibly can into as few districts as possible. So, for example, if you are Republicans and you want to advantage your own party when you're drawing district lines, you would try to cram as many Democratic voters into as few districts as possible. And you kind of give them those districts, right? So, you know, say you have 10 districts that you're trying to create, you put as many Democrats as you can into two of them, uh, where they constitute like a 95% majority. You give them those two districts. And then you spread out your Republicans across the remaining eight districts so that you receive a majority of the vote in each of those districts. And cracking is the opposite. Let's say you're a Democrat-controlled legislature and you want to draw a map that favors your party, the Democrats. So what you do is you take a Republican district and you crack it up, putting those Republican voters into nearby Democrat-dominant districts. So instead of four super blue districts and one super red district, you have five Barely blue districts. Five Democratic elected officials. Okay, it seems to me then that the most dastardly gerrymander, the perfect crime, if you will, would be to crack districts so deftly that your party wins every district by the slimmest margin. And that is a map just like Goofy Kicking Donald Duck. Pennsylvania 7th District. It so obviously cracked several urban neighborhoods into outlying rural areas that there was a public outcry and a lawsuit. Party leaders couldn't agree how to fix it. And it fell to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to redraw the district more equitably in 2018. All right, I got packing. I got cracking. But stacking is one that I have never heard of. Yeah, stacking is, in my opinion, the most nefarious. When you stack a congressional district, you draw the lines to create a perceived majority in it. A majority of people who are either minorities in a lower income bracket or less educated. Three demographics that statistically, due to various circumstances, have a much lower voter turnout than educated, wealthy white voters. So it's kind of like misdirection. You grant a clear majority presence in a district. The official elected in November is not the one who represents the majority of people who live there. Absolutely. And there are other methods of gerrymandering that don't get talked about as much. I just want to give them a brief mention here. Uh, There's prison-based gerrymandering, where a district with a large incarcerated population which cannot vote counts those citizens as part of that district's population instead of their hometown, giving that district more representative power. 
And finally, there's sweetheart gerrymandering. That's where incumbents from both parties reach a tacit handshake, an agreement to draw the lines so everybody just gets to keep their job. Who specifically is in charge of physically drawing these maps? All right, here's Robin again. Yes, that is actually probably the most important question. So in the majority of states, the state legislatures will draw the lines. And then often the maps that they create have to be approved by the governor. Um, In a much smaller proportion of states, the lines are drawn by redistricting commissions, some of which are independent, some of which are political, some of which are bipartisan. Um, There are lots of different variations of those. But in the vast majority of states, they're still drawn by state legislatures. And those variations are interesting. Some states have independent commissions that draw the maps. Uh, And each commission is completely different. California's redistricting commission comprises five Democrats, five Republicans, and four individuals unaffiliated with any party drawn by a lottery. But as of right now, maps are drawn by the state legislature in 33 states. And as you can imagine, um, you know, the state legislatures are not entirely neutral observers of elections. So we actually see, we tend to see the more egregious gerrymanders occur um, as a result of the lines that are drawn by state legislatures with approval of the governor. So when one party, for example, controls all three branches of a state government, um, we call that a trifecta. Uh, Under those trifectas, we are likely to see the more egregious gerrymanders take place. If there's divided control, so, you know, a legislature of one party and a governor from another party we're less likely to see those types of kind of egregious partisan gerrymanders. As to the result of those different gerrymanders, I do happen to know that they are tremendously effective. Most significantly, I know that in 2012, Democrats received over a million more votes for the House, but the GOP won a 33-seat majority. Which brings me to a bigger question. Is this legal? A good question and one that I'm going to get to right after the break. Okay, but before that, I want to tell listeners that they can read all about the deep dives that are too full of ephemera and trivial tidbits to make it into our show in our free bi-weekly newsletter. It's called Extra Credit. You can subscribe at our website, civics101podcast.org. And quickly, speaking of reading, Hannah and I took the stuff we've learned from making three years' worth of episodes and compressed it into a book! It's called A User's Guide to Democracy, How America Works. It's illustrated by the wonderful New Yorker cartoonist Tom Toro. You can get it wherever you get your books. Okay, we're back. Where were we? You were about to answer the question of whether all of this is legal. Okay, here's Nancy Miller again. So there were two cases in the 1960s, Reynolds v. Sims and Baker v. Carr. So everybody's probably mostly familiar with Baker v. Carr because that's the congressional one. Um, Reynolds v. Sims handled state legislative districts. So it's basically the same principle that the districts you draw have to allow for roughly equal representation. Both of these cases ruled that redistricting is a justiciable issue. It's a funny word, justiciable. Um, Justiciable means it's something that can be addressed by the Supreme Court or the state Supreme Court. And those two decisions dealt with equal numbers of people in districts, that, that malapportionment thing we talked about earlier. These are the cases that ruled we are obligated to redraw our maps after every census, and you can't draw a district so that it has significantly fewer citizens than another. Did we redraw them at a different time prior to these court cases? Prior to the 1960s, the districts were just redrawn whenever the state felt like it, (laughs) pretty much. So there was a whole, yeah, 
So there's a whole lot of malapportionment. Um, But while the Supreme Court ruled that unequal numbers of people in a state and federal districts is unconstitutional, when it comes to the issue of partisan gerrymandering, I'm talking cracking, packing, and stacking, that is something else entirely. These reasons and others set forth in our opinion, we conclude that partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts. We vacate the judgments below and remand with instructions to dismiss. That was Chief Justice John Roberts announcing the 2019 decision in Rucho v. Common Cause. It was a 5-4 to four decision which stated that partisan gerrymandering claims are not justiciable. The Supreme Court cannot rule on questions of a political nature. And it's no surprise that John Roberts wrote the opinion, uh, because a year earlier in another case, he referred to methods to determine partisan gerrymandering as, quote, sociological gobbledygook. I didn't know you were allowed to use the word gobbledygook when you're a chief justice. So we know that this is happening. Political scientists agree that gerrymandering is real, but it is not technically illegal. It is not technically illegal at the federal level. Some states have legislation that bans certain types of gerrymanders, like the prison gerrymanders we spoke of earlier. 24 states have laws requiring that maintaining communities of interest has to be considered when they're drawing the maps. But even then, it's not easy to prove in a court of law if gerrymandering is happening. And Justin Levitt told me that just because a map looks strange and snaky, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a gerrymander. It's dangerous to judge a book by its cover. And so you can have some really nice looking districts that do some pretty bad things. And you can have some strange looking districts that do some pretty great things. So we've talked about strange and like bad maps a lot so far. But can you give me an example of a strange but positive map? Yeah, and radio is a bad medium to talk about map design, but listeners should take a look at Illinois' 4th Congressional District. It looks absurd. It's like, um, what do you call the thing in in a movie? And you go, nine, take three. A clapperboard. It's like a clapperboard on a movie set. But what that strange clapperboard district does, it unites two Latino communities that share a lot of characteristics and thus a lot of representational needs. And so it's not often the strangely drawn nature of a district that tells you whether it's good or bad. People make assumptions, just like they make assumptions about other people based on how they look, that aren't always true. Can I ask about the argument that we should just do away with human beings drawing districts entirely and just let a computer do it randomly? Yeah, I always thought that's like the perfect solution is just, you know, take the humans out of the equation. And there are a lot of people who do advocate for that. But I want to share two arguments against random redistricting. First off, Robin said even that could favor one party over the other. The problem with kind of the natural geography in the U.S. is that Democrats tend to be very packed together, right? So New York City, You can't really draw competitive districts in New York City. Um, They are going to be packed full of Democrats no matter what you do. So um, a lot of those votes are not going to kind of be effectively used. They're just going to be wasted. So the entire country actually kind of looks like that. So you have Democrats that are kind of packed more tightly into these urban geographic centers and Republican votes that are distributed kind of more efficiently is what we call it. Um, in terms of elections across the other areas in the state. So that if you just kind of let the computer draw the maps, you're likely to just perpetuate that kind of natural gerrymander that's already in place. 
which is then going to end up being a bit biased against Democrats and in favor of Republicans. And finally, Justin said something that made me realize that when I was staring at maps and numbers, I had lost sight of the whole reason we have congressional districts in the first place. Hannah, why do we elect our representatives in the United States? Because they represent us. It is, it's right there in their name, it, representative. And if we feel they don't do a good job representing us, we get to pick someone else. And it's much easier to gauge how well they're doing at that if people in their district have things in common. Sometimes those are geographic. People from a particular town or a particular county. Sometimes that's based on industry. Sometimes it's based on racial or ethnic affiliation. It can be based on lots of things. But when people have common interests, when a community together has common interests, they can hold their representatives accountable for whether their representatives are standing up and representing those interests or not. If your uh, district represents the tech sector, then your representative should be out there advocating for the tech sector in ways that are Republican or Democrat, but should be advocating for the tech sector. If your district represents St. Louis, then your representative should be advocating for St. Louis, whether they're Republican or Democrat, should also be advocating for St. Louis. So there's a lot to be said for having districts where there's something common about the people who live in the district. There's something that binds them together beyond just party. And when you have districts that are created to reward or punish friends or enemies, that makes it really hard to hold the representatives accountable. So when I asked if gerrymandering is legal, the answer is kind of like the answer to, can I make a right on a red light? It depends where you are. Yeah. Though I will add, there is language in the Freedom to Vote Act, which was introduced in the Senate in October of 2021, which explicitly bans partisan gerrymandering, and it puts up safeguards to fix maps that are unfairly drawn. But the bill did not get the 60 votes needed to overcome the filibuster. But to your question, gerrymandering can be legal depending on your state. May I take the question just one step further? Yeah. Is gerrymandering cheating? <laughs> that, I, that, was a real, it's a, that was a really hard question because like when you Google is gerrymandering cheating, you're not going to get an answer. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't ask Robin that when I was interviewing her. So I wrote her an email after to ask that exact question. And here's her response to, is gerrymandering cheating? She says, I think it would be fair to say that partisan gerrymandering violates our notions of fairness and democratic principles. So, would most of the population view it as cheating, even if it's not explicitly illegal? Yes. Probably. And that is it for Gerrymandering. Today's episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, with you, Hannah McCarthy. Thank you. Thank you. Our staff includes Christina Phillips and Jackie Fulton. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer and stan of the Nicolas Cage vehicle, Valley Girl. Music in today's episode by Blue Dot Sessions, Sir Cubworth, Quinces Moreira, Corey Gray, Micaiah Beats, Ikimashu Oi, and that composer with the chords never miskeyed, Chris Zabriskie. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. All right. One, oh, two, take one. And this is what separates redistricting from... And this is what separates redistricting. And he signed a redistricting act. And he... <laughs> <laughs>
congressional redistricting. It's so hard. It's so hard. Who specifically is in charge of physically drawing these maps? So sometimes it's the state legislature and sometimes it's independent independent commission. It's the legislature down in Georgia. It's independent in California. <laughs> legislature down in Georgia. Independent commission in California. Oh, yeah. Got gerrymandering in the north, yeah. Nick just discovered peaches. <laughs> is the song called peaches? I don't know if it is. I can see